You know, there are some events you just remember where you were when you heard that they had happened. Um, And the mass shooting in Newtown, Connecticut at Sandy Hook Elementary School is one of them for me because I was at work. I was in London and it was before the holidays. And before the holidays, when you're a reporter, it doesn't matter where you're stationed, you often get assigned to do stories they could use during the holidays. They They call them baggers. So I was out in the east end of London near Upton Park where West Ham used to play doing one of those, when I looked down at my phone and saw the first news alert about what had happened at Sandy Hook, what was happening at Sandy Hook. Of course, you may remember that uh, a lone gunman had gone into the school armed with an assault rifle and killed 20 first graders and six teachers before taking his own life. Apparently, he'd planned it for months. The weapon belonged to his mom, who he killed first. Um, It was a day that is almost indescribable in how horrific it was. It didn't matter where you were in the world when you were reading about it. Um, You know, soon we'd see the photos, the photos of the young kids and the teachers, but the photos of those young kids, many just six or seven years old. And it shook so many people to the core, the country, I mean, the town, the state, uh, that's about 45 minutes north of New York, uh, America in general. And of course, came the calls for improved gun control. But that did not happen. That day, of course, was December 4th, 14th, rather, 2012. That's 10 years ago. Tomorrow. It's the 10-year anniversary tomorrow. Imagine that. Now, Barack Obama recently reflected on the lack of action over guns following the horrors of Sandy Hook as the greatest frustration of his presidency when speaking to the parents of children who died that day who fought for gun control ever since. We would have all understood if the families of Sandy Hook Elementary had simply asked for their privacy and closed themselves off from the world. The temptation must have been powerful. But instead, you took unimaginable sorrow and channeled it into a righteous cause. And in the face of cruel conspiracy theorizing and nasty partisan politics and perhaps worse of all, inertia and indifference, and the TV cameras shifting to the latest distraction, you just kept on going. And you set an example of strength and resolve and grace. Former President Barack Obama speaking in New York last week. If you look at that crushing collage of photos of all those kids who lost their lives that day, it's really tough to miss Catherine Hubbard. She's got the most copper-colored red hair and the biggest grin. And she had her own business cards. Can you imagine? Had her own business cards that said Catherine's animal shelter on them. Her title was caretaker. And she used to tell animals, whisper to them, tell your friends, I am kind. Her mom, of course, um, to this day, carries on that work in her daughter's honor. She would have been 16, of course, now. Uh, She's been gone, of course, 10 years, but her legacy has been growing because her mom, Jennifer Hubbard, started the Catherine Violet Hubbard Animal Sanctuary in her daughter's memory. They actually break ground on it tomorrow to build a bigger facility. They've been doing the work for years, but they break ground on it tomorrow to mark the 10th anniversary, a small glimmer of hope on a day that would otherwise be simply a tragic anniversary. And Jennifer Hubbard, mother of Catherine and president and executive director of the Catherine Violet Hubbard Animal Sanctuary, joins me now. Thank you for your time. And of course, um, you know, as always, I guess our condolences every year must be tough. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, thank you for having me. And you know, the reality is, is that each anniversary brings with it um, just a different period of, of contemplation and retrospection. And each one brings its own new set of memories and reflection. But the reality is, is that, you know, every day without Catherine is a, is a day without Catherine. It's hard. Yeah, I often think sometimes these anniversaries are things that a lot of the rest of us look to. But I always wonder in your case, whether it's, you know, I know they have an impact, but it's just, an, as you mentioned, it's just another day, right? Without, uh, what does this, what are you reflecting on this year? 10 years is is a milestone. I had read somewhere that a lot of times people categorize their lives in, in seasons of 10. And so I think that 10 as we approach the 10 year anniversary, I think it's, there's a lot of attention um, and curiosity as to, you know, what does it look like 10 years after a, a mass school shooting? And I find myself really thinking about all that has changed in my life over the past 10 years, mostly though, for the goodness that I've encountered. I mean, my, I think about December 13th, the day before Catherine died and my life now is vastly different, but in a positive way, which I'm sure would raise some eyebrows for some. But, you know, I, I think that I have experienced the best in humanity coming out of the very worst that any human could be a part of. I've heard you describe it as accepting the compassion that you were being offered. Mm, absolutely. Yes. I think that humans innately are good. And when we watch another person suffer or experience loss in such a profound and violent manner as Catherine's life was taken, hearts broke. I think that everybody in their own way asked the question or, or thought that could be me and ask the question, how can I somehow make this better? And the outpouring of kindness and compassion and generosity that ensued in the days and now decade since Catherine's death is simply overwhelming. You also spoke of, of how your reaction in the days following and how, of course, you, Catherine has an older brother, uh, Freddie, she, who's, yeah. and, and that you had to, you had to, you had, you made it, you said you made a choice to get out of bed. <laughs> yeah. Continue, you know? Yeah. You know, and I think that, you know, don't, I, I hope that it's not taken as sort of this callous perspective of suffering and grief. Sometimes the choice to get out of bed in the morning is a hard and sometimes devastating choice because when you go through losing a child in so instantly you know one minute i'm putting catherine on the bus she's ultra excited and both of my children were uber excited about the fact that christmas was was 10 days away their father had been overseas and he was coming home that night and the day was amped up with with all sorts of anticipation and in a matter of hours to hear that that came to a screeching halt and have life completely turned upside down is is devastating and the first choice that i had to make was was i going to get out of bed because the reality was is that there were people in my house that were saying you know you you don't have to i think sometimes we give permission to allow us to to focus on all that's 
wrong. And sometimes we need the encouragement of saying that it's important to look ahead and, and, and getting out of bed was that first step of looking ahead. I had to because of my son, but, you know, a choice nonetheless. Yeah, you, you said that shutting down, there was no greater tragedy than shutting down. And I guess you must, I mean, we all must understand that in a situation such as yours, we all grieve in our own way. There is no single path, I believe, to resolving whatever it is that we're grieving. And, you know, I I was shared a piece of advice that was so poignant um, and yet so simple early on after losing Catherine. And it was, it was simply, no one is ever going to grieve like you are because no one else was Catherine's mother, nor is anyone else in this world, yourself included, going to grieve in the same way that your son's grieving because no one else was his sister. And, and so his relationship and your relationship, and frankly, any relationship I think that is, that is grieved is unique and profound for that person. And so with that piece of advice was an understanding and a permission that while there are certain markers of grief, there is no timeline. um, And it's certainly not linear. Um, And in accepting that, I think there becomes a gentleness for ourselves as as someone that's grieving um, or enduring some sort of suffering. But also now, as I have met people and and see different seasons of of life where other people are, are in their own season of suffering, there's an acceptance of just them in whatever place that they are. I think that when we can accept that and live in that space, um, we all become a little bit more compassion to the suffering that we all experience. It's it's not just me because I've lost a child in a mass school shooting. Suffering abounds around all of us. You mentioned it. You put it quite poetically. You said simply be, be kind to yourself. Yeah, I think that we we fail to celebrate the the simple successes of healing. And in failing to do so, we just... We lose sight of of the humanity of I'm putting myself in this category that that at times over the past ten years, I was sizing myself up against other people, other families who lost in in the tragedy, and looking at how I was doing in in my progress forward. and And I think that's a huge mistake. I think that we just have to be gentle with where we are and what we're doing and surround ourselves with with people who we know have our best interest at heart. And sometimes, sometimes that surrounding of, of people that care for us um, may, they, they may share things that aren't necessarily what we want to hear. Like, yeah, it's time to get out of bed. Your family needs you or the world needs you, but so important. Jennifer Hubbard is with us this half hour. She's the mother of Catherine Hubbard, one of the 20 children uh, killed 10 years ago tomorrow in the Sandy Hook shooting. Uh, We've been talking about um, the horrific pain of that day, but also um, the ability to to grieve over the course of the last decade, her memories of the last of what has gone on over the last decade, and the work that you've done as well, this this animal sanctuary, this really is a tribute to Catherine and and the way that she was, the compassion of a six-year-old. Yeah, yeah. Catherine simply adored animals, and so her solitary goal in this world was to make sure that every single one that she 
encountered knew that she was kind and that they would be safe in her care. And so, you know, she had this little whisper that she would send, um, send them off with, and she would ask them to tell their friends that she was kind. She really believed that if they were able to share that message with their friends, they would all come back to her and her, her friends and the creatures that she surrounded, surrounded herself by would multiply. And so in her innocence is such wisdom of compassion and kindness. And so the sanctuary honors her commitment to caring for all of the animals that she was surrounded by, but also in emulating the compassion that she shared with them, the work that we do really and truly helps people, whether it's through our educational initiatives or the things that uh, the programs that we offer that provide direct care to to animals, we believe if we can emulate the compassion that Catherine had, then those things can be translated into the way that human beings interact with each other. There is something profound and healing about honoring the, the human-animal connection. And one of the programs you offer, I know, is to allow seniors who can no longer afford to keep their pets the services to allow them to do so. Mm. Which, if which, if you think about it, would probably be it would be it would be a Catherine whisper, wouldn't it? <laughs> it absolutely would be. You know, I, I, for for me, seeing these seniors and knowing that the last personal connection that they have um, for many of them to their family is their family pet. Most are widows; um, their children are living in in other parts of the country, and they have. The family pet and they're living in in these tiny apartments and one financial pitfall or hardship and their whole ability to care for their their pet is compromised so many of these seniors either one go without care for their pet and thereby compromising the safety of their whole community I mean, we've got people with pets and green spaces that aren't properly vetted or the seniors are in a position that they have to then surrender their pets. And you know, that to me is heartbreaking because that would be the last thing um, that Catherine would ever want. And I, and I think that in terms of what we do, our mission in ensuring that all animals know the, the safety of and kindness of humans, it would be undermined if we didn't take action. So we, we've partnered with 29 um, Connecticut communities. When you look at the broader picture, and you t you wrote about this actually in, uh, for CNN, uh, about the broader picture around gun control and so on, you also spoke about compassion, uh, that so often I imagine you've seen the cycle repeat itself over the last decade, whether, you know, whatever the latest tragedy and horror, the grieving families, wherever mm. they may be, uh, and you felt that there, were, there has to be a way to break this cycle of violence, and the only way to do it is, again, uh, through compassion. Absolutely. I think that what I've what I've discovered is that in the states, I, I want to say it's it's over 3000 mass school shootings since Catherine died um, in Sandy Hook. And it's this constant cycle where there's a there's a school shooting and then there's this flood of empathy and compassion. Hearts are broken, rightfully so. And almost instantaneously the debate ensues and there's divisiveness and discourse over how this happened. Um, and what I believe is that 
this whole conversation needs to change. And instead of being focused on divisiveness, if we can have conversations that are rooted in compassion, in coming to a common understanding for the betterment of our children, um, then we begin to change the way that we approach a very complex situation. I really do think that it sounds simplistic. And I'm sure that that there's a lot of people saying, yeah, way, way too um, Pollyanna-ish. But at the end of the day, we clearly have to do something different. And and I just believe it's in in stopping and considering how we're approaching this horrific problem that, that we continue to face. Do you feel like there's been some progress in Catherine's memory since that day, 10 years ago, in terms of trying to figure out what the problem is and how to stop it? I know there's been more more deaths, unfortunately, but it feels like there has been some progress. There absolutely has been some some progress made. Unfortunately, though, not enough. A final thought. I was 16. Uh, Catherine would have been 16. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because I've often thought, you know, what would a 16-year-old Catherine be like and act like? She was redhead. She had all of the commonalities that people associate with a, with a little ginger. Um, she was fiery, determined, and yet she was passionate and with a huge heart. And what would it be like with 16-year-old Catherine? And the reality is, is that I stopped there because my reality is that Catherine is forever six. And so to to think about what would 16 be like, it breaks my heart. It's not a reality for me. And you still see pennies though, right? All the time. It's it's uncanny. When I look when I look for them, um, they seem to appear in the most of unexpected ways. For me, Catherine, and, and I'm a huge person of faith, Catherine is safe. Catherine is in heaven, and I will see Catherine again. Jennifer Hubbard, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.